0: You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for showing up. Today I'm going to play a clip that I literally just got done minutes ago making it's about 30 minutes long and it's on the question what about those that have never heard the gospel it's a pretty common question that people ask there's been days that i've answered this literally three times and the same day so it's something that a lot of people ask it's a question that um is not i, I don't think answered all that well in the form of a video anywhere out there um and it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time and have been researching for a little while. The reason I'm going to play the audio before I make the video is because I'd like to get um, some of your feedback out there, especially somebody that sees something wrong in the way that I uh, articulate this from the Bible or something, or if there's something that just doesn't sit right, I'd like to hear from you uh, via email, nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com. The reason is because there's not anybody that I can find that's that has articulated this in this way before. And so I, you know, anytime I want to step out like this, I'd like to just have some kind of confirmation before I make it a video and spread it around. So let me know what you think about it. And also t- keep in mind when you're listening to it, that constant references to various scripture verses are going to be flashing on the screen. Uh, I tended to, t- to talk more conversationally here. So as opposed to quoting a lot of scripture, I did quote scripture, but, um, So what I'll do when I make the video is quote the references as they apply to the things that I'm saying. And then, of course, provide all those references in the footnotes and things like that. So imagine this as you're listening to it with constant uh, references to Scripture being flashed on the screen as well. So let me know what you think. It's about 30 minutes long. And if you want to, you can email me at the website, NowhereToRunRadio.com. Thanks. What about those that have never heard the gospel? Will they be judged simply for living in some faraway place where no missionary has been? What about the people who lived before the time of Christ? These questions are based on the exclusive claims of Christianity that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. There are several ways that people will answer this question and a variety of viewpoints. I will present a case that I hope will not only satisfy the skeptic, but also reconcile some of the various views among Christians on this point. I will be making a case that although it is rare because of encroaching sin, God has saved people from every tribe, nation, and tongue in human history, and that every one of them were saved through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, even those that lived before Christ was born. I intend to show that this is what the Bible teaches and is in no way conflicting with the necessity of the Great Commission. Sounds like I have my work pretty well cut out for me, especially if I'm going to try to show this from the Bible and show it from history as well. Most good discussions on this topic start out by explaining that the Bible teaches that God has given every person, in every time period and place, two things. Number one, knowledge of Him through creation. That is, that they all know that He exists. It says that His divine nature is clearly evident to them through the very creation itself, so that they are without excuse. Number two, they have all been given a moral law. This is that they know right from wrong. The Bible says that it is written on their hearts, and that they know they are accountable to the God that they know exists for the wrong that they know that they are doing. Now, some people are split on this point. They would say that this basic knowledge of God, let's call it general revelation, is sufficient to save a person. But it is very clear in these first few chapters of Romans that this general revelation is only intended to show them all that they need forgiveness from the God that they know that they have offended. In other words, the knowledge of God through his creation and the knowledge of right and wrong written on your hearts is not enough to save you or anyone from the punishment that they rightly deserve. It is only sufficient to show them that they are all in fact guilty and accountable to God. So this point is really important to understand. No one would be condemned simply for not hearing about Jesus. They are condemned already by their own deeds. The Bible says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It then says that he who believes on him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Now, here's the big problem. The Bible is very clear that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. What I'm going to suggest to you is this, that Whenever a person in any time period in any place in the world takes the two things that God gives all people in general revelation, that is, the knowledge of God and being accountable to that God for the sins that they commit, and they put those two things together and cry out to God and seek Him for forgiveness... God has and will lead them to special revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was available to them in their time and place. It's important to understand while making this point that the way in which people were able to trust in Christ alone in the various times in history have been progressing since the time of Adam until now. As a case study in the Bible, let's take a look at Enoch. Here's a few facts about Enoch. He was only seven generations from Adam. Yeah, that's right, Adam, as in Adam and Eve. So this was pretty early. Therefore, he was not a Jew. This was long before Abraham, who was Jew number one. And it was therefore obviously before Moses, so he didn't have the Ten Commandments either. Yet we know that he went to heaven. It seems God took him there personally. We also know, thanks to the book of Hebrews, that he went there because he, quote, pleased God. The quote says, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Interestingly, the very next line in Hebrew says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we are told, number one, Enoch was saved by faith and that he pleased God. We are told in this context that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. That's going to be important for later. There's one more fact about Enoch that is most important for our discussion. And here is where it gets a little interesting. Enoch is quoted by Jude in the New Testament. It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints. Now get this. Jude is quoting a prophecy that would hands down win for the earliest writing ever to exist. Let me say that another way. If Jude is correct in saying that Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, actually wrote or spoke the words he just quoted, then it would follow that it is the most ancient writing ever recorded. This would have been an ancient prophecy to ancient people. The Sumerians would have kept this in their museums if they had them. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that This writing is speaking of the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ, like the book of Revelation stuff. This is information that was not even revealed in this kind of detail in the Old Testament, but only after the time of Christ's first coming. Do you see how amazing this is? Enoch knew more about Christ than most people even today. And I'm intentionally only using information about Enoch that we have recorded in the Bible just to be safe. But I would say the book that we now know of as First Enoch does seem to be very Christocentric, that it is it is very glorifying of the coming Christ, although it does not yet know him by that name. I am not necessarily endorsing the book of Enoch, though. My main point here is that God has been giving knowledge of His Son Jesus Christ to those that quote diligently seek Him and have faith, at least around the time of Enoch. I would also suggest that Enoch may have not been the only one. There could have easily been other converts, maybe even based on his writings. On this point we can only speculate. Sprinkled though throughout the Bible there are oddities just like this. Who was Job's preacher? How did he find out about God? Now, so far my point is only that in the rare case that someone takes their general revelation, the knowledge of the true God, and their accountability to him for their sin, and used those two things to repent and diligently seek God for forgiveness, God will and has led them to whatever special revelation of Jesus Christ was available for them. As to the exact nature of the special revelation that was available to the world from the time of Adam to Moses, the Bible only gives minimal details. We are told that somehow the gospel was preached to Abraham in the book of Galatians. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, several places in the Bible make the point that Abraham's faith was not simply faith in God, but faith in a specific promise of God, particularly that the Redeemer would come through his lineage. This is one of the more amazing studies in the Bible, is all the ways that Abraham trusted specifically in Christ in the Bible, even though he did not yet know his name. But Jesus actually confirms this in John 8, where he says, in a heated discussion with the Pharisees, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad then the jews said to him you are not yet fifty years old and have you seen abraham jesus said to them most assuredly i say to you before abraham was i am the special revelation of jesus christ and his atoning death kept getting more specific as history closed in on the actual event of christ's death in fact, by Jesus' day it had come to a head. The only way to get that special revelation of the Christ was through converting to Judaism. The following is a conversation Jesus had with a woman from Samaria. A perfect example for our discussion, as her religion by all outside observers would seem to be the exact same thing as Judaism. But Jesus says that even that is not enough. John four nineteen 19-23 says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Almost all of the Jewish laws and customs were pictures and descriptions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the Old Testament, here in this verse called the Scriptures, were written about him. He said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The Old Testament customs like the Passover and the Passover lamb and the Sabbaths were all very interesting pictures of Christ. That's why John the Baptist said of Christ when he first saw him, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He was referring back to the actual meaning of the customs that the Jewish people had been following. This again is an amazing study and I'll post links for more information on all of that. Almost every ceremonial law of the Jews is revealed in the New Testament to be a way of pointing toward the future Christ as a means of their own sins being passed over. The book of Colossians says it this way Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The idea here is that things like celebrating the Passover was like a shadow. But if you followed that shadow to that which was casting the shadow, you would find the infinitely more valuable body or substance. You don't want to embrace, for example, the shadow of your friend. You want to follow that shadow to your friend and embrace your friend. That's what the various Jewish laws and customs were doing. They were leading the faithful observer to Christ. The more you study Jewish ceremonies and feasts, etc., the more evident it is that they were being justified by faith in Christ. You didn't have to be a descendant of Abraham to become a Jew. Anyone could become a Jew. These were called proselytes, and there are plenty of people called out of the surrounding nations to become part of the Jewish nation at this stage. People from all over are mentioned in the Bible, including the Kenites and the Gibeonites and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. We hear of individual proselytes who rose to positions of prominence in the kingdom of Israel, such as Doeg, the Edomite, and Uriah, the Hittite, and on and on. According to the book of Chronicles, in the time of Solomon alone, there were 153,600 proselytes from all over in the land of Israel. There are stories in the Bible like that of Ruth, a Gentile, who became a proselyte based on her conviction that the God of Israel was the true God. She was the great-grandmother of King David, and also therefore connected to the line of Christ himself by the time that special revelation of christ was limited to the jews is the exact time that they settled in israel one interesting thing about the location of israel is that it connects three continents including being the only passage to egypt from everywhere else in the hemisphere if anyone in the ancient world wanted to go to the biggest city in the world they had to go through israel to get there and we'll see an interesting example of this in the new testament later But I say this to suggest that even when the method of special revelation became the most narrow it had been to that point, it also was incredibly accessible and not at all hard to believe that God would send someone who sought him to Israel to find him, not to mention the fact that Jews were very well represented in different countries as well. Also notice that Jesus told the Samaritan woman that a time was coming in which the way to God would not be through the Jews alone. The Apostle Paul said the following to the men of Athens, Greece, concerning this. He said, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This means that now the order of the day is to know what beforehand was only a shadow. The Redeemer has come in His fullness, and forgiveness is freely offered for your sins if you repent and trust in Christ who has been raised from the dead. Also, notice at this point that God did this at a specific time in history. It is not as if He was scrambling to come up with a solution to sin and finally sent Jesus. Galatians 4 verses 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This fullness of time is what Christ was referring to when he said, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. At this point we can begin to answer the question, what about those that have never heard the gospel today? Far more people have lived in the period after the time of Christ than before the time of Christ, based on statistics of population growth. So, just based on the numbers, I would submit that this is a much more important question. Let's look at some biblical facts before we answer. And there is some good news and some bad news here. So, let's start with the good news. Number one God desires that all men be saved. 1 Timothy 2 4 and 2 Peter 3 9. Number two, God seeks those who seek him, Luke 19.10, James 4.8. Number three, God can send messengers to reveal his son, Acts 16.6-10, 6 Romans 10.14-15. 10, Number four, God can perform a miracle or reveal himself in a special way to reveal his son, as in Acts 9. Now, here is the bad news from Jesus in Matthew 7.13-14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Given the first four, it would seem to be a simple thing to get people to be saved, but the issue is that sin is killing us all. And the side effect is that our hearts are being made hard. We are rejecting the goodness of God, despite the fact that he is trying to lead us to repentance, because God loves us and does not want us to perish. Nevertheless, the rare man or woman that takes the knowledge of their sinfulness against a holy God and seeks after him will be led to the one and only method for atoning for sin. One example is with the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. For those of you that don't know this, this is after Christ had come and the early church was just beginning. I'm going to read the entire passage. It starts in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot he was reading isaiah the prophet then the spirit said to philip go near and overtake this chariot so philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet isaiah and said do you understand what you're reading and he said how can i unless someone guides me and he asked philip to come and sit with him the place in the scripture which he read was this quote, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So, here's some interesting things about this. Philip was guided by the Lord to the desert to find this guy. And based on some details, this Ethiopian eunuch was probably on some kind of vacation time or something, but he spends it to go to Jerusalem to worship their god. He apparently bought a copy of the book of Isaiah, which in those days would have been incredibly expensive as they were handwritten and meticulously copied. Philip arrives at the precise moment to explain probably one of the most amazing passages in scripture, Isaiah 53, about the prophesied Messiah's death. We are watching here in this passage, God giving special revelation to a man who was obviously diligently seeking him. Also, notice that God literally transports Philip to another place after this baptism. This is interesting because in context, you can tell that Philip was supposed to be traveling the complete opposite way to meet another deadline, but he obeyed the Spirit and went into the desert to find this seeker. I want to make the case that had Philip not obeyed God here, God probably just would have sent somebody else, and if that person didn't obey, he would send somebody else, and on and on. He could even go and do it himself, as was the case with Saul, who we now know as the Apostle Paul, who was arguably not converted by any man, but by Jesus himself, who appeared to him on the road to Damascus. A person might rightly ask if this kind of thing happens today. I would say that among Christian missionaries, the stories like this are commonplace. I really can't stress that enough. This is something that Christians are well aware of. If you know a missionary that has been one for any length of time, they will agree and testify that these things happen and happen today. But I was trying to think of a way to demonstrate that to you where you might understand how commonplace it is. And I decided I would post a clip from a video that I put online about two years ago called Real Miracle Testimonies. And it's really just an interview that I did with a lady named Sandy. Sandy. The reason I was interviewing her was because, as the name of that video suggests, she had seen several miracles on a few different missionary trips. But one part of her story is helpful to show you how common the stories of people calling out to God and being sent, someone just like in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. Watch this clip and listen for what the woman was doing just before Sandy knocked on her door.
1: And it was in 1996. We were on a missionary trip to the Philippines, and we were in Cebu, Philippines, and we broke up into teams. We had two teams. One went to one little village, and the other, uh, we were walking down little villages, just kind of walking through their areas into the little shacks and houses in those areas, and um, just telling people Jesus loved them. It was really simple, and as we were going through to one of the houses, we climbed up on the stilts, and uh, well, it was like a stilt ladder that we had to go up, and we just went to this lady's house, and we just, she had a big opening in the door, it wasn't a door, but there was an opening, and we said, knock, knock, we're here to tell you Jesus loves you, and when she came to the door, I mean to the entrance, she said she had just been praying and asking God, if you're real, who are you, and we come, and there was about four of us, and we're saying, here we are, we're telling you, to tell it. we're here to tell you that Jesus loves you, and you know, that he's God, and so it wasn't an a hard thing to do to lead her to the Lord. She was more than willing and, and so exciting to, to come to Jesus. Excited to come to Jesus. So her and her daughter both came, and we were sitting in her in the little home on the the little slats uh, of the floor. Uh, it was a bamboo house, is what it was. We were sitting on the floor, and as as we ended our prayer of salvation, her daughter just pulled the hair of her mom's. And um, we pulled the hair from her mom's neck away from her neck, which revealed this huge goiter, which we did not notice before because it was hanging over her neck. And, um, and her daughter asked us to pray. And so we just did, and you know we didn't weren't expecting much. you know we're just normal everyday Christians, and we just thought, "Well, God says to pray, so let's pray." And we all closed our eyes, and I put my two fingers over the goiter, and all I know is that when we opened our eyes. That goiter was gone, and I think we were all amazed, and so we, we were just all jazzed and so excited that God had chosen to not only save that that little lady by sending somebody all the way from America to tell her about Jesus, uh, but then off to the heal her. I mean, we were just ecstatic. We felt like we were like walking in the book of Acts.
0: And I would suggest that this kind of thing happens all day, every day, in places that we don't even know exist. Whether he takes the eunuch and makes him meet Philip halfway, takes the eunuch from Egypt and Philip from Caesarea, or he takes Sandy from America and brings her to the Philippines, God is the master of making the connections between those that have the knowledge of the special revelation and those that need it. Now, moving on to the other part of this discussion, which is about babies or the mentally handicapped. I think here we see a special grace of God. We know that, for instance, King David, whose infant son died, said the following, But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Meaning that David believed that he would see his son in heaven when he died. So I think that small children seem to be covered under some kind of special grace in this regard. As for the mentally handicapped, I think that the very same thing applies. Although I would say that with many levels of mental handicap, they are fully capable of making the same kinds of decisions about sin and seeking God and very often do. For the rest, I would say that they are covered with the same grace as the children. Now, after reviewing all of this, we see that all people from all time are given general revelation of the knowledge of God and of their sin and that special revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to all that put together those first two things, their knowledge of God and their knowledge of their personal sin and accountability to that God, and they seek after Him. The bad news is that we are our own worst enemies here. In John 3 it says it this way, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The way is narrow and few are those who find it. Take some of you watching this video, for instance. You know that it doesn't matter how many of your tough questions are answered by informed Christians. You know that you would just go look for more questions. And you know that at the end of the day, if all of your questions were answered, you would still reject God and his love for you. If he gave you an eternity to decide to repent and follow him, you would always choose you and your sin over him and his offer to set you free from it. You don't want to be free, and that is the problem here. That is why there are few that find the way. Not because there is a lack of missionaries, but there is a lack of people who want to be saved from their sin. I would encourage all of you to find out more about how the gospel works, how it functions. I would encourage you to click the link in the description section or follow the link on your screen to a short video that tries to explain in detail exactly how it works. I hope this helps. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.